Good morning. If you'll go ahead and be finding in your Bibles Romans 5, we'll, we'll get there eventually, Romans chapter 5. I want to thank you for being here. I uh, want to remind young people, meet me right up here at 5 o'clock uh, this, uh, this afternoon. Uh, Kids Connection continues to just grow and grow and grow. You keep inviting your uh, grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your uh, your, your family and friends and neighbors to come be with us for a Kids Connection on Sunday evenings. We're thankful to Rodney and for the ladies who are helping him uh, with that great program. Uh, I, I'd encourage you to be sure you check your bulletin because it, this is a busy time of year. A lot of things are happening and, and going on. This week, this Tuesday, is the Senior Adults Ministry Gathering out at Camp Areopagus. Uh, Starts at 10.30. We're not going to keep you all day. Starts at 10.30. Uh, ends with a, a lunch. We're going to sing four or five songs, have prayers, some prayers. Then Brother Charles Bain is going to do a devotional uh, little study with us. And then uh, there'll be time for just uh, engaging in uh, discussion of things he said, anything else we want to talk about, uh, make a few announcements, and then uh, eat lunch together. Uh, we've already had over a hundred who have uh, told us from other congregations that they're coming to be with us on Tuesday. And uh, I just need to know that you're coming. We just need to know that you're coming because we've got to prepare uh, food for you and uh, we want to do that. Uh, so please help us out. If you plan to go, it really helps. You know, I appreciate you coming and saying something to me. <clears throat> I remember that till you walk off usually. Uh, it would really help me, though, if you write it down for me. And I'll gather that uh, list out there this evening. We need to know today if you're planning to go with us. If you want to go and uh, you'd like to ride the van, we're going to meet here at 10 o'clock. Is that what we said? We're going to meet here at 10 o'clock Tuesday morning. You can get on that van. I'll drive you to the back door of that building. You won't have to walk up a single stair. I'll drop you off. I'll go park that van when it's time for us to leave. I'll go get that van. I'll pull right up to that back door. You get right on that van. I'll bring you right back here to your cars. Uh, you just uh, let us know that you plan to come. We're expecting a great time uh, Tuesday uh, with the senior adults from all over our brotherhood from around this area. And uh, you, you won't want to miss it. You won't want to miss it. Uh, 4,000 years ago. I wasn't there, I wasn't there, but I read about it. 4,000 years ago, our world was perfect. I mean, the Garden of Eden was absolutely perfect. And then something that is the most tragic thing that has ever occurred on our planet took place. That woman and that man in that garden broke the only commandment that God, negative commandment that God had given them. He made it as easy on them, on them as possible. He makes it as easy on us as possible to keep his commandments. He really does. He gave them just one. Don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. In the day that you eat of it, tragedy's going to strike. You're going to die. But they ate. You know that. They ate. And oh, 
Just like Satan had said, you know, God knows that in the day that you eat of that tree that you're going to become like him and you're going to know the difference between good and evil. And we, and we see that, don't we? We see that. Immediately they, go, they begin to know the difference between good and evil. And, and immediately, because they know that what they've done is evil, guilt comes on them. You see them living with that guilt. It's implied that God would come in the cool of the evening and, and walk in that garden. The implication is having fellowship with, with his creation, having fellowship with that man and with that woman. But on this occasion, after having eaten of that tree, as God comes walking in the cool of the evening, the man and the woman, they've hid themselves among the trees. Where are you, Adam? Well, you know, we've hid ourselves because we're naked. They recognize the difference between good and evil. We're naked. And so we hid ourselves. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Tragedy struck. God is forced to expel them from the garden because of sin. Because of sin. And then here we are. And it's, it's no different in our age than, than, in, than in other ages. But let's be honest. Instead of hating sin, we celebrate it. We celebrate it. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they were, there was they, all over the news that Mark was talking about, all over the news was celebrating the opening of, a, of another gambling opportunity in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. We're celebrating that. We're celebrating it. Oh, all we want is the marijuana approved for medical purposes. The Greek word for that is baloney. If, folks, you know I'm telling you the truth. That was just the beginning. It's downhill from there. It's going to be on your ballot. Now we want it for just to open it up for recreational use. What is illegal, even in the eyes of our civil government, we don't feel like, we, we don't feel, well, so what if, so what if vaping is, I'm too young to vape. So what? No one's going to tell me what to do. And instead of hating sin, we celebrate it. We encourage it. If we do it in our lives, we excuse it. We blame it. We blame someone else. It's someone else's fault. If I've done anything that you and what we do is sin becomes everything anyone else does. If I do it, well, I may have made a mistake, but it wasn't sin. Oh no, oh no, I, I couldn't sin. I couldn't do that. And tragedy struck. Tragedy struck. That sin that was, that was committed then and the results of it has the same results on you and I today. In the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Die. Death occurred. Death occurred. They died. They became separated from God. And again, we act like that's no big deal. 
And if we, if we do sense a, come to any sense of that separation from God, it's as if it's not our fault, it's God's fault that we're separated from God. Hey, the Jews felt like that. God speaking through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Let me set it up for you. The Jews, God's chosen people, were experiencing an, a, a problem a tragedy. Their prayers were not being answered. And it couldn't have been their fault. It has to be God's fault. So God speaks through his prophet and says, listen, the Lord's arm is not short that he can't save. His ears not heavy that he can't hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he won't hear you. They were saying, they were thinking things like this. Well, my prayers aren't being answered. It, there must be something wrong with God. He's lost his power. The Lord's arm is not short that he can't save. If your prayers aren't being answered, it's not because God has lost his power. Well, if he's not lost his power to say, to, to hear, if he's not lost his power, it's because he's gone deaf. He can't hear me. That's the reason. No, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. You're the problem. 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 Your iniquities. Yours. Not Adam's, yours. Your iniquities have separated between you and, your, you and your God. Your iniquity, your sins have hid his face from you. That he will not hear. Your sins. Your sins. Folks, when we're separated from God, the source of life, we're dead. We're dead. And here's the way, it, and that's not the end of it. Sin results in, creates a separation between us and God. Between a holy, righteous, just God and we who have sinned. We've offended Him. We've offended Him. Remember, uh, you say, well, I didn't do anything to God. Remember, uh, that, little, that young man named Joseph who ended up in captivity and was sold into a slave, as a slave there in Egypt into the house of one Potiphar. And remember, Potiphar's wife was lower than a snake's belly in the grand, bottom of the Grand Canyon. She tried her best to convince a boy who... He didn't want to be there, but he's trying, but he's there, and he wants to live for God, and he wants to keep himself holy, and he wants to keep himself pure. And she's saying, sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. Remember what he said? Miss Potiphar, how can I do this thing and sin against you? No. And sin. Oh, that would have been sin against her. Sin against me? Oh, I'd have been sin against him. But sin against my God. 
That's what we do when we sin. It's against Him. He's the one that is offended. And it results in death. Uh, separation from Him. Separation. That separation, though, is not the end of it, folks. It's the beginning of it. The awful thing about, uh, uh, about sin is that, it, yes, it leads to death, to separation from God. But being separated from God leads us to be alienated from God. It's an awful thing, isn't it? It is an awful thing when friends are alienated. People who have been friends for a lifetime, and now they're no longer friends. It's a tragic thing. It is a, it is a terribly destructive thing when a man, a husband, and a wife are alienated from one another. Would you agree? That's awful. It's dangerous when nations are alienated from, from one another. With the kind of weapons we have available in our world today, let nations become alienated from one another. How dangerous is that? And yet none of those are in it, folks. None of those are in it with being alienated from your God. If you have your Bibles, look at this passage with me. This is Colossians chapter 1. We're, we're, we're going to get to Ephesians 5 or Romans 5 here in a minute. But Colossians chapter 1. Chapter 1. I'm beginning in verse number 21. Colossians 1.21. And you that were sometimes alienated. There it is, folks. That's what happened to us because of sin. And you who were sometimes alienated and enemies. That's what we became because of sin. And you who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's how we became alienated from God and enemies of God. It's because of the wicked works that come out of our minds. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in your sight. So it's here comes the sin, and sin separates us from God. But because we're separated from God, we become alienated from God. So here you have it. You have, you have sin which separates us from God. Then it alienates us from God. But folks, that's not the end of it. Sin leads to condemnation. Listen to Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now answer this question for me. What about those who aren't in Christ? Condemnation, right? Condemnation. Separation, alienation, condemnation. And folks, understand, Jesus is telling you the truth when he says, strive to enter in at the straight gate, because broad is the gate and wide is the way which leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the way and narrow is the gate 
that leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Most of the people in this world are standing right now, at this moment, on God's death row, condemned. And they're just one event from being snatched into eternity like that. Just one, just one traffic accident. Just one heart attack. Just one stroke and they're into eternity. Died under condemnation, they go into eternity. Under condemnation. Isn't that sad? What should you be doing about it? Anything? Let your neighbors go to hell? Let your kids go to hell? Let your grandkids go to hell? Go to eternity under God's condemnation. Or do you have any sense of responsibility toward that? How about your own life? Go into eternity under God's condemnation. Because here's what sin does, does, folks. It separates us from God. It alienates us from God. And it condemns us to the wrath of God. That's awful. That's awful. But again, we live in an age where we want to be the ones to define sin. Who should get to define what sin is? The one who does the offending or the one who is offended? Well, folks, God's the one who will tell you what sin is. He's the one you'll stand before in judgment someday. And he's going to go, hey, what do you think? Was that sin? He's not going to do that. He, he's going to define sin. In fact, he's already done it for us. I want to look at a few of them with you right quick. Then we're going to get to this. It won't take us but a minute when, once we get there. But in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 4, the Holy Spirit instructing John to write says, He that sinneth transgresses the law. Transgresses the law. I tried to make it as easy as I could for my daughters. I wanted them to understand this is what sin is. Now I got grandkids and I'm trying to do the same thing for them. That my good and gracious God has in a sense put a fence around me. It's called his law. And he says, you live inside my law? And that's wonderful. That's, that's perfect. That's wonderful. But you transgress or you cross over my law. You go out there where outside my law. That's sin. That is sin. I'll give you a simple one. God has said, always tell the truth. Don't ever lie. Not even once. That's, to lie is sinful. In fact, Revelation 21 and 8 says that all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Have you ever lied? Have you ever been less than 100% honest about anything? I'm the only one in the house. Okay, all right. That's okay. When I was less than 100% honest, I transgressed and I sinned and it separated me from my God. It alienated me from him. And it put me under the condemnation of his wrath. 
1 John 5, 17, John says all unrighteousness is sin. There are some things you just know are, are right and there are some things you know are wrong. In Romans 2, 24, Paul talking about the Gentiles said that when they that are without the law do by nature the things that are in the law, they, by, they become a law unto themselves. There are some things just because you're created in the image of Almighty God, you know it's wrong. When you, go, you, when you do that, when you do what's not right, you know that's wrong. and You know it. When you do that, that's sin. Has there ever been a time in your life when you knew it was wrong to do something and yet you went ahead and did it? That's sinful. That's sin. It separated me from my God. It alienated me from my God. It put me under the condemnation of God's wrath. James 4.17, James says, If a man knows to do good and he doesn't do it, it's sin. You just know that it's, that's the right thing to do. You know you ought to do that. Maybe you've read it in God's word. Maybe it's just, hey, you just know it. I ought to do that. But you don't do it. That's sin. Has there ever been a time in your life when you knew you ought to do something? You knew it. But you made excuse. <laughs> well, I was afraid, or you know, I was busy, or you know, I, I, has there ever been time in your life, whatever the, whatever it was, you knew you ought to do something and you didn't do it? That's sin. And when I did it, it separated me from my God, it alienated me from my God, and it put me under the condemnation of the wrath of God. I look at just one more with you. Romans 14, what is it, 27? It's the last verse in that chapter. Paul says, He that doubteth is damned if he eats. Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now I'm going to give you the context of that, but you check me out. The context of that comes down to eating meat. If you want to eat meat, Paul says there's nothing wrong with it. Eat meat. But if you don't want to eat meat, don't eat meat. Nothing wrong with that. But if you think it's wrong to eat meat and you go ahead and eat meat anyway, then you're doing it not out of faith and that's sin. In other words, violating your conscience is sin. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt it may, it may not have been anything wrong with it in and of itself, but you just felt it was wrong and you went ahead and did it anyway? I'm probably the only one here that ever did it, but you say, well, big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal because it separated me from God. It alienated me from God. And it put me under the condemnation of God's wrath. That's dark, isn't it? That's dark. Paul in Romans chapter 7, I really think he's, he's talking about a person who is trying to go to heaven by keeping the law. But whether, it's, whether that's it or not, listen to this. Paul says, uh, you know, I found the law. 
that when there was something that I knew to do and I did it not. That which I would do, I did not do. And those things which I would not do, those things I, I did. Isn't that the way we live? Or am I the only one in the house? That that's the way I live. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing it. And the things I want to do, should do, I find myself not doing them. I'll tell you what Paul said. Paul said, oh, he's one of the best men I know. Is it you? Would you agree? One of the best men I know. No. And he says there in Romans chapter 7, I think it's verse 24, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Look, listen, this is the picture. He says, it, I carry around this body. And it's not even a live body. It's a body of death. It's a body of sin. That's what it is. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's what happened to us. Whether you ever recognize it or not. Whether you ever acknowledge it or not. Unless that, that dead body has been removed from you. You're still carrying it around. And you're carrying a dead body, a body of death, a body of sin. I would to God you'd cry out like Paul, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. The next verse though, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord, the Lord can deliver. We've got this body of sin, and we must have it removed. We must have it released from us. We must be cleansed. We must be made pure, or we're never going to see heaven, but we will see hell. So we're to Romans chapter, chapter 5. And I'm just going to start, I'm just going to read, we're just going to set the context I want you to look with me in, in verse number 20. He's been talking about the benefits of having Christ as our Redeemer. And he says, he, he says it's Christ and not the law. Now you'll just have to read all that for yourself because y'all don't want to take that time. But look, verse 20. He says, moreover the law entered that the, that the offense might abound. But where, now watch this, but where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so grace might reign through, through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what's his subject? What's his subject? Let me, let me read that for you again. See if you can pick up on anything that is repeated. Now, I'm going to ask you that question again. What's his subject? But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what's his theme? 
grace. Folks, he's talking about grace. And re I remind you, this, was, this is a letter. It didn't always have chapter breaks. This is a, so he, you agree with me? His theme is grace. Would that, anyone that disagrees, we'll read it again. <laughs> okay, y'all want to get out of here. Here we go. 6 verse 1 then. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's his theme? What's his theme? Grace. Grace. Don't lose it. His theme is grace. Would you consider it grace if you could be released from that body of death that you're carrying? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That we could be freed from that. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. For how can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Sin's our problem. But we're dead to it now. Or to the people that he's writing to. He says, how can we who are dead to sin? They're dead to that sin now. Well, when did that happen, Paul? Know ye not that so many of us have been baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. That like us, uh, uh, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You've been made, you, you, you've become dead to sin. You don't want to go back to living in that. You don't, want to go, you don't want to take up that dead body again and put it on. You've been, well, when did that happen? <laughs> don't you know? As many of us have been baptized into Jesus Christ, been baptized into his death. Now I want to ask you, why did Jesus die? Well, let me answer it for you. Let, let the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul answer it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which I delivered unto you, wherein you stand by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory that which I delivered unto you, how that Jesus Christ, listen now, how that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Now, why did Christ die? For our sins. And you were baptized into his death, his purpose for dying. You were baptized into the death of Christ. And he was buried, and you were buried with him. But he was raised, and likewise you were raised. To walk, Paul says, Romans 6 verse 4, to walk in newness of life. Now, I'm, I'm, I just want, I'm just going to take a second on this. But folks, how does one receive a new life? Doesn't a new life require a new birth? And does that make any sense? That a new life requires a new birth? I'm sorry. Y'all go to sleep on me? What? Does, a, does that make any sense? 
A new life requires a new birth. A new birth. Did Jesus ever talk about a new birth? Yeah, in John chapter 3. Remember, Nicodemus came. Remember there he said to Nicodemus, Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus was confused about that. said, is it possible for a man to enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus said, except a man be born of water and spirit, he can't even see the kingdom. There's a lot of discussion about what is the water there in John chapter 3, verse number 5. And some say, well, it's the water of the physical birth. But listen, folks, tie it. Are Paul and Jesus talking about the same thing? Yes. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. That must be because you've been born again, had a new birth. What is the water in John 3 then? It's baptism. It's baptism. When we're born again of the water and of the Spirit, we can see the kingdom. Why? We can have the kingdom. Why? Because we've been released from this body of sin that we've been carrying, that separated us from God, that alienated us from God, that condemned us. So I encourage you to read that. His theme is grace. Let me ask you this. Is baptism an aspect of grace? If it is in baptism that you die to sin, would baptism be an element of grace? Don't, don't let the preacher confuse you. Let, let the Bible be your teacher. Hey, now... I'm not going to read all of this. Just run your finger down the page. He hasn't changed his thought. It's still about grace and how that we've been, we've died to sin. That old man was crucified. It was put to death. But you, you read it for yourself. But I want to get you down to verse 16. He's writing to people who have already experienced this, this grace of God which comes from being baptized into the death of Christ, buried with him by baptism, raised with him to walk in newness of life. And he says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey? Whether of sin unto death. So if you're going to serve sin, it's going to be unto death. Or of obedience under righteousness. Of obedience under righteousness. You can't be righteous without obeying. Without obeying. And then he says in the very next verse, but God be thanked that you were once servants of sin. So they once served sin. They served sin. Separated from God, 
alienated from God under the condemnation of God. They served sin. But, but here's the way it starts. But, it's a word of contrast. But God be thanked that you were once the servants of sin. You were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed. Can't be righteous without obeying. But you have obeyed from the doctrine, that, that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Now what form of doctrine was delivered unto you? The gospel. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scripture. That's what Paul had delivered. That's the message he carried about with him. And they obeyed it. Now when did they obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, when they were baptized. They were baptized into his death. They were buried with him by baptism into death. And they were raised then to walk in newness of life. And they obeyed that. Watch what happens when they obeyed it. Now, watch what happens. And we're through. Verse 18. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. What happened? They were made free from sin. Is that good news or what? That's grace, folks. That's grace. You were made free from sin and you became servants of righteousness. Servants of righteousness. Wow. Wow. Here's the illustration the old preachers used to use. Folks, there's only one way, only one way for this handkerchief to be clean. Either, or two ways, excuse me, that this handkerchief can be clean. Number one, don't ever soil it. Don't ever soil it. Number two, that Beverly wash it. Isn't that right? Just two ways. Just two ways. Hey, there's only two ways for your soul to be clean. Number one, don't ever soil it. Uh-oh. I already messed that one up. I messed that one up. Or number two, don't worry about Beverly cleaning it because she can't. But go to the one who can. We sing about it, don't we? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I wonder, is that song scriptural? Is it true? Revelation 1 verse 5, John says, Unto him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Saul of Tarsus was told in Acts 22, in verse number 16, Saul, Saul, why tarriest thou? What are you waiting for? Saul, Saul, why tarriest thou? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, could... Paul wash away his own sins? No. But could Paul be baptized? Yes. And as he did, Jesus washed his sins away. But it was all up to Paul, right? It was all up to Paul. 
I wonder how many of us have been made free from sin. Been made free from it. This morning, if you're here and you need the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life, to have your sins removed, washed away by His blood, as you obey Him in baptism, we'll help you with that. But if you're here this morning, you're a child of God. Are you walking in the light? Because if you are, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, right? 1 John 1 verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us as we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Now, folks, you don't, you don't walk in the light as Jesus is in the light by excusing your sins, by, by, by dis, dismissing them, by trying to define it for yourself. By saying, well, you know, you got no right to judge me. Folks, you walk in the light of Jesus Christ by taking his word in every day, lining up with it to the best of your ability. In the blood of Jesus, his grace will take care of that. And are you going to live perfect? No. But the blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus, where grace did abound, or where sin did abound, excuse me, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. This morning, if we can help you with your needs in a spiritual way, you let us know by coming to the front. Do that now as together we stand and sing.